His story is heartbreaking, breathtaking, and empowering. Waji Amir Lyon is the first openly gay man from Saudi Arabia to obtain political asylum in the United States. Once his parents confirmed he was gay, they took away of all of Lyon's freedoms, and he was under direct threat of the Saudi government. He sought help from his alma mater, Kansas City University, where the head of the LGBTQ services ushered him to safety and found him legal help. Because homosexuality is legal in Saudi Arabia homeland, Lyon was granted asylum in 2018. He has since been committed to international advocacy for human rights, anti-violence, and LGBTQ, LGBTQ rights. You can find Lyon hosting Twitter spaces where he champions discussions to bring people together. He is living proof that not all superheroes wear capes. Assalamu alaikum, Waji. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you so much for having me, Debbie. You're welcome. I'm excited. I'm still messing around with the camera, making sure I'm centered. So I'm... You're perfect. So how old were you when you left Saudi Arabia? 12 years old originally. My uh, parents uh, both received a scholarship uh, by the King Abdullah Scholarship to uh, get to the United States and pursue their higher education. So my first two years were in Columbia, Missouri. And 2017, I think, we went to Manhattan. No, 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 no. In 2007, not 17. 2007, we went to Manhattan, Kansas. And I became a case stater. So I went to Kansas State University. And that was next to the fourth largest military base in the United States. And uh, we were lucky to be there because I was able to perceive, uh, get some of the best education when it comes to political science and economics um, and stopping terrorism. So I was very lucky to get all that education and exposure right there, right then and get exposed to uh, not only the American ideology, but also international ideologies, as I met many people from all across the world and at K-State. Awesome. How, tell us a little bit more about your story be, just before you received the asylum. Tell us about that period of time. So in around 2014, 2013, I started accepting my true self, my sexuality for who I am. And I was acquainted with the former governor of Kansas, John Carlin. Um, he was a, he's a great friend, uh, amazing person. Uh, used to always, uh, go consult with him as a mentor on a lot of my life issues. But I hit a roadblock because I knew I was in the United States on a student visa. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I graduate, I either have to find a job or return to Saudi Arabia. And returning to Saudi Arabia means returning to 
the headspace of where I wanted to commit suicide many times. Uh, I've had 93 appointments at that point with therapists and I've made an extreme progress. So I didn't want to go back to that spot. So I spoke with a governor, I reached out, I said, I'm, I'm gay and I fear returning back to Saudi Arabia. And essentially, I need your help to apply for asylum in the United States. He says, no promises, but I will talk to some people and see what I could do. A few months later, I received a phone call from a prestigious law firm in DC that took around three, four hours interviewing me, making sure that I actually have a case. And they said, we would like to take you pro bono, but you're so far away. You're about three days drive from DC. So we're gonna find a law firm close to you that will take your case. And forgot about it and a few months later I received another phone call uh, and it was a, the, a different law firm and this time it was with the Andrea Kimball and Judith Napoleon and they also did the, the interview and after the interview they said okay we're gonna we're gonna take your case at that time it was 2014 and I was, so I was getting ready to graduate because I graduated at the end of 2015. So what happened was I was preparing to graduate. I was applying for jobs and I was applying for asylum. That was a lot of pressure that I never expected that I had to do. I essentially slept at the library isolating myself from my family because my I still lived with my family. So I started isolating myself from my family by sleeping in the library and working a lot on what I need to do to get done. And that included probably a couple hundred pages that I needed to fill out for the State Department or USCIS. And I'm pretty sure I failed a class just because I had to sacrifice some time to either finish the asylum application or get a very nice grade on college. So I definitely sacrificed some of my grades to finish that application. And in 2015, after I graduated, I landed a job at the Kansas State Senate for Senator Olitha Fauskido from the 29th District in the Kansas State Senate. Uh, she was prejudiced for many reasons. I'll cut it to where she asked uh, Thomas Witt, uh, the LGBT lobbyist in Kansas, she asked him to convince me to stay in the closet. And that didn't end well with him. And it didn't end well with me. She ended up calling me a terrorist, a spy, and different names. So I 
just said, you know, I, I went to HR, filed a complaint, and I quit my job. At that point, rumors started coming out about my sexuality. I went back to Manhattan, Kansas. My mom was still a student, and she was trying to get her um, certificate in conflict resolution. And I thought, you know what? Conflict resolution certificate sounds amazing. I enrolled with my mother in a class. And so we were working on a project together. And for some reason, I was on her laptop and I logged into my Facebook and I just never logged out. So she just started reading all my naughty, naughty texts with all the handsome men that I've been talking to for years and years and i haven't left anything you know like yeah there she she's seen everything and she didn't even need to hear the rumors before she believed it and i was essentially asked to go come back home from college while i was working on my project and i was like that's kind of weird my dad runs our family almost like a company and uh, it's not your typical family. So I was like, that's kind of weird because we already had our monthly meeting. So there must be something odd. I came back home. They asked me to go down in the basement, which is even more odd. And I sit down, my mother goes, there's something you're not telling me. I said, what do you mean? It's like, I feel like you're hiding stuff from me. I'm like, I'm sure that I, there's, I don't have to tell you everything in my life. No, I'm your mother. You have to tell me everything. It's like, absolutely not. She's like, I feel like uh, there's something you're not telling me. I'm like, what is it? She's like, uh, my father walked in. It's like, are you happy with your relationship with God? I was like, yeah. And I knew I was an atheist. But it's like, so he got mad. So I was like, why are you mad? What do you mean? Are you ready to die and meet God right now? It's like, yeah, sure. He got really upset and walked out of the room. My mom was like, we noticed that your relationship with God isn't as good as it used to be. What happened? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. She, said, she looked at me straight and she said, are you gay? At that time, I felt like time froze. Like, I knew it was going to get to that question. But when that question came, it was uh, either you're going to say yes or no, and you're going to have to be ready for the reaction. I looked at the wall for like 30 seconds, and it felt like 30 hours. And all that was going in my head was, am I ready for the reaction? Am I prepared to run away? Do I have the connections to do it? And all of that, I had to do it real quick. And I was like, what if I was? And the first thing, oh, we're going to send you back to Saudi Arabia. We don't have, a, excuse, a, a faggot in the house. We are going to send you to conversion therapy. Um, we're going to get you married. They took away my phone, thinking that I would lose all my contacts. And after I've had, I have thousands of phone numbers saved up. So I, I always back it up. 
So they gave me a new phone and I straight up called Scott Jones, the Dean of Human uh, Life for the Student Life and uh, spoke with Breton, the head of the LGBT center. And the next day I went to class with my mother. I was called by their office and they just called the teacher and the, the, the professor in, in the classroom and they asked me just to meet, to go to Dr. Jones' office. We got on the phone with my lawyers and the Kansas City Anti-Violence Project. We suspected very much that I was under the direct threat of being kidnapped. Oh my God. Uh, Dr. Scott Jones hosted me in his house for three days. There are people that came and knocked on his door at 12 a.m. while I was asleep and asked me to get out and he said he would call 911 and they left. After three days, I was driven to Kansas City and I was placed in a safe house for a few months. Um, and that safe house well, that was provided by the Kansas City violence, um, it felt like prison, but it was way better than being kidnapped. And the reason I say that was later on in my life, I was doing a, I was fundraising for the ACLU in front of uh, a, a shopping center. And I met a lawyer and we got, came in, we started talking back and forth. And I was telling her my story and she was like, whoa, I had a client from Saudi Arabia that was applying for in Kansas City for asylum because he was gay and he's been kidnapped and we don't know anything about him. And he's been kidnapped using his family. His family came and the Saudi government uh, usually uses that process and uses family members to lure the, lure the individual back to Saudi Arabia. So that's when it really hit me. And I, the moment that I accepted that I'm gay is the same moment that I accepted that I could be killed any time. The moment that I accepted that I'm going to be public about me being gay, that also was another moment of realization that I also can be killed at any moment. And you just have to accept that as part of the work that you do, especially after the death of Jamal Khashoggi. Um, every one of us, you know, from the Saudi opposition, gay or not, it is always in the back of your mind that you could always be kidnapped and killed. Uh, I was legally in the US in the safe house, and but I was legally not allowed to work. So after a few months, I was couch surfing and kind of homeless. When I got my employment authorization, I was still working under the table, delivering Chinese food. I started working at, for a couple of Arabs at Metro PCS and Boost stores under the table and, and that paid the bills. Lived with a, an amazing friend, his name is Stevie B. 
um, he was facing a lot of issues with his vision and becoming old and I came back from work one day and he tried to commit suicide. And I was still not, I still didn't have my asylum in the US. I still didn't know what to do. And I knew a lot of his friends. So I called 911 and he didn't even want to, he wanted me to call 911 and I got him help. But after that, I kind of wanted to leave the Metro PCS job leave these areas and just try to get my life out of the sink that it was in because I feel like it was I I essentially I, I hit rock bottom by many means so I said to myself that if I need to do this I need to do it right I need to get political experience. I need, even if it means that I'm going to do jobs or just going to be annoying. So I started working for grassroots organizers. And that's where I started doing a lot of the fundraising for ACLU, Amnesty International, not the Amnesty International, uh, Doctors Without Borders, uh, Southern Poverty Law Center. Yes, these organizations. Um, we fundraised for them, and it was an amazing experience because I was able to gain the skills of talking to people one-on-one -on -one in the streets, understand what it means to go canvassing, and understand what it means to have some of exposure to that world. And then we, I moved on to another campaign called I Trust Women, which was a campaign to educate and keep ladies aware about uh, the legislations affecting their birthrights and whether they can have abortion or not, um, which is, I think, is very essential for every human right person and every lady should choose her choice in picking whether she needs to abort or not. So that was a good experience as well. I worked on the Kansas side on that part. And then I started working for Missouri Jobs with Justice. I, I know a lot of people know about Jobs with Justice. They're uh, a coalition that works with organizing with the organizers of the unions. So we work mainly with union leaders and religious leaders to organize uh, around making people before profit, not profits before people. And in that, we did a couple campaigns, Raise Up Missouri, Clean Missouri, Vote No on Prop A. And it was going amazing. Um, I, I loved everything I was doing. Until September 6th of 2018, while I was canvassing for them in south of Kansas City, I was attacked essentially by a white maniac who we think is a white supremacist, not sure. But he attacked me and essentially broke my hand, 
and got five surgeries, bone infection, and been on work comp since then. And has in that essentially wanted me to leave the US right there, right then. Started talking to some of my friends, telling them, hey, I'm ready to sell my car. I'm ready to sell my, all my things. I want to go to Canada. Literally got attacked. I don't know. Like, I don't feel safe here. I don't feel welcome here. And just by the end of that month, I hear a call saying, your asylum has been accepted in the United States. <laughs> so it was like, uh, welcome to the US. And here's a slap. Um, uh, so that plan, I, I was sure I'm going to stay here in the U.S. So I've, I've been in the U.S. since then. I'm engaged to a very handsome man, Christopher Lyon. Um, we've awesome. been together for about like three years and my asylum has been granted. And since then, I became a board member on, so I was a, I was a client for the Kansas City Anti-Violence Project, and then I became a board member for the Kansas City Anti-Violence Project uh, because I saw that there was many issues with them that we helped fix. And I just recently, just last September, stepped down because uh, I feel like it's at a good place that I can step back. And I recently joined the board of directors for Missourians for Alternative to the Death Penalty. So always finding another, yeah, always, always finding something to be involved in. Um, and I was recently, about a year or two ago, appointed to the Kansas City Health Commission Housing Committee. Oh, wow. And so, so from there, I became uh, uh, active on Twitter spaces and started thinking maybe I should uh, serve my community and my people better back home in Saudi Arabia. Um, and that's when I started being involved on Twitter and Twitter spaces, okay. um, trying to meet with the Saudi yeah. audience. That's my long show, my, my long story <laughs> short. Oh, pretty pretty compelling it sounds like a movie um i have to ask you though uh i can't well i it hurts so much when when a parent doesn't support you but i cannot how do you even process the feelings that you must have felt when your parents really you know i mean my God, I mean, we all have had, a lot of us have had uh, family members who've ostracized us, and but having them trying to have you kidnapped is, that's got to be, how do you even process that? So I did do, I did try to do conflict resolu uh, resolution. I did try to fix my relationship with my parents. But they were still toxic. Mm -hmm. They still weren't accepting me as who I am. And they still were trying to force their will on me. Even though I'm dependent, even though 
I left their house with a trash bag of, with my clothes in it. Oh. Even though so many else things happened, even though they sent me to religious places where I got sexually assaulted when I was a child. Even so many things, so many things. I was beaten up. My dad broke my hand growing up. Like so, I witnessed my first beheading at the age of ten. Oh my god! I I don't think I had the cute upbringing, but I don't think I'm the outstanding person out of everyone in Saudi Arabia. I think every other person in Saudi Arabia faced a very similar situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as I say this, it sounds like horrible on anyone on the Western media. Anyone that's from the Middle Eastern world was like, what are you talking about? That's normal. It's just another day. <laughs> and so that's the, that's the patriarchy, the, the, the patriarchy, the patriarchy that we're trying to take apart. Yeah, yeah. Kudos to you on that. I'm. Um, so. So I ended through my relationship with my parents. Long story short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Um, when, when did you or do you feel safe now? I feel safe. Um, I feel safe at knowing I take my own risks and I gamble with my own life, um, knowing that I risk my life know, telling the truth, telling the stories for people that can't tell it. But I'm also very privileged. Not every Saudi person have asylum in the United States. Not. Yeah. Any, so if you go to any Saudi person and start talking about any of these things, they're like, hold on, hold on. Are you trying to get me in trouble, throw me under the bus, or get me killed? Mm -hmm. So they would never talk to you about any of these things or think about talking about these things because it's either going to throw them or someone they know under the bus. And they don't want that. They don't want to screw with that. And it's scary. But you know what? I am done being scared from that. I have taken enough steps in my life to feel safe enough to do what I do. If I didn't feel safe enough to do what I do, I probably wouldn't be doing it. Um, yeah. You are helping so, a lot of people doing this too. Pardon? You are, you are helping a lot of people just even sharing your story. Well, that's, that's the goal. I don't know if I'm always doing it right, but I hope so. <laughs> so how has sharing your story actually helped you with your own healing? Um, it's, it's a combination of therapy and activism, honestly, I think. Um, as, as, as people stood up with me when I was homeless out of nowhere, people I never met, people I never knew. And I always told them, you know, I never can pay you back. And they're like, we don't expect you to pay it back. We expect you to pay it forward. Mm -hmm. um, and that moment created a reason for me. That moment created a purpose that once I cross that line, my purpose is to help every single person that's in my shoes. 
um, or that's going through a similar situation that I'm going through. Um, so that that with that guidance, I think that is where I I try to move forward and not look back. How um, how can people help? How can anybody else help with um, helping somebody who's going through this, or like even anyone who's even close to coming through to your story who needs asylum? How can other people help? Knowing that it's a very complex issue, having lawyers that are willing to do a pro bono case and take someone and help them do their asylum process because it's very complicated, very hard. Um, I'm personally trying to create a nonprofit mm. for the Saudi LGBT community or the Arabian Peninsula LGBT community to help them escape, apply for asylum and many of those things because those services are neglected. Uh, I've had clients reach out who have been raped by their sibling for a nine years, been raped by the police, has uh, been beaten up and has gasoline poured on him and lit up. And uh, he's not even 20 years old, mm. all because he looks too feminine. Uh, and there's nothing that isn't my power that I could do to help him. Not financially, not legally, nothing but to tell his story. As many people, as you think, I need all kinds of help. We need legal help. We need more people telling our stories. We, know, we need more opportunities to tell the public that they have a responsibility knowing that Saudi Arabia is trying to sport wash or uh, whitewash its image by buying sport teams or yeah. trying to um, spend billions of dollars on uh, public company, not public, uh, marketing companies to clean its image, knowing that they have dirty hands constantly killing and murdering people that are innocent, telling the truth, especially journalists. Yes. Yes. So while it might not feel like it at times, you really are a role model. What are you most proud of, of what you've achieved so far? I'm proud that I haven't lied to myself. I'm proud that for the first time, I feel like I'm not acting like I need to act in a different manner. That's not myself. Mm. I'm proud that I'm not sorry to be myself. Uh, and I think I'm very proud helping other Saudis realize that as well, whether they're part of the LGBT community or not. Um, critical thinking is something that has lacked in the Arab Peninsula for a hundred years. And 
being this controversial, I am very radiant in Saudi Arabia. Many people hate me, no doubt. But on the other hand, I am changing minds and hearts. And my spaces, even though if people come in hating me, if one person comes out with a different ideology, I think I, I'm happy with that. Mm. So in a perfect world, what would you like to see happen in the future? Um, I definitely would like to see sport fans take actions by holding their teams accountable if um, they're being owned by a country that's oppressing the LGBT community. I think fans need to learn that they can start taking responsibility as well and not let everything be by the CEO. Um, they can take actions. Uh, people that are voting, they can ask the, their legislators um, and representatives to be more responsible and hold countries like Saudi Arabia uh, accountable for their human rights violations. Listen, Saudi Arabia is not only violating, violating LGBT rights and mm -hmm. killing us, they're also killing the Shiites community constantly. Mm -hmm. They have um, liberal thinkers in prison, just and economists literally in prison just because they're free thinkers. Um, so it's not just connected to the LGBT community. Knowing that you are allied with a country that's essentially like ISIS in many ways, trying to modernize, but somehow still has the dilemma of holding to the past. Maybe we need to review how we pursue our relationship with them. And that is the absolute perfect way to end this broadcast. Thank you so much, Rajee. I was Thank you. so, it was more than better than what I expected. And I knew, and I expected it would be great. So thank you so much. It was my pleasure and it was my honor. And uh, I ask everyone to support you and subscribe Aww. to your account. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have a wonderful day.